Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26, which is actually the entire chapter. Um, if you're reading from the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's on page 513. Um, if you need a Bible or you know someone who needs a Bible, please take that home from Cornerstone as a gift. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you, and anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. 26 verses. You never know what you're going to get if you sign up to be a scripture reader, so well done. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together and then I'll get us started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just time together uh, as a church to, to hear from you and just give you praise for a wonderful Christian Ed Hour already at 9 and 
Um, just already a, a wonderful morning together and that we get to continue uh, through worship and then hearing your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, that we know that the Bible is your word. It's God's word, and so we want to hear from God. Uh, and it's in his name we pray. Uh, amen. So this week, as I was uh, thinking about the sermon, I was trying to imagine you sitting there uh, in your seats, and I was thinking about your needs. Now, we all have different types of needs, and if you were to uh, stop and identify like that main need in your mind right now, I bet we'd all have different needs. We'd all have something different to say. Some of us would say, you know what, the thing I need most is money. Right? I have uh, a job, I need a, I, need a, I need a job, or I need a raise, or I need help paying off student debt, or I have a mortgage that needs to be paid, or car payments, or medical bills. Uh, you would identify your need as financial. Uh, we can probably all relate to that in some way. Some of us would identify relationships as our main need. Uh, maybe we're going through uh, marriage problems and we need uh, the Lord to work there, or uh, we have uh, family problems or problems with a parent or sibling, or uh, maybe relationship problems outside of the family, like with a friend or a coworker, and you need uh, reconciliation or to kind of work together. So you would identify relationships as your need. Some of us would identify time as our need. Man, if I just had more time. I'm so busy, you know, running the kids around to sports. I'm so busy at work. I'm just working long hours. If I just had more time, I could get my work done. I could spend time with family. I could get my, uh, my, my homework done. Uh, we would identify time as our need. Maybe you can think of something else, like you have a medical need or an emotional need or a social need or whatever it is. We each have needs. And as we open the scriptures, and as we really read through the scriptures, we find a God who cares about our needs. I think it's a really uh, simple point, but it's an important point. God cares about us and our needs. All those things I just talked about, God cares about them. That doesn't mean that those are the most important things to God, making sure that you have those things. But God does care about those things, and he cares about them in our lives. We find this, that when Jesus came, it talks about in the beginning of Luke, it says, yeah, he came preaching the gospel, the good news, but he also came to, to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, uh, to, to heal and to restore. And so we see Jesus himself, he cares about the physical, the material needs, but he also cares about those spiritual, deeper needs as well. And so we shouldn't be surprised as we encounter the church, the book of Acts, the book of Acts is just the story of like the first churches, and this is the, the kind of the first church community that we're looking at and kind of their action in the community of Jerusalem. We shouldn't be surprised that people in this church, the leaders, Peter and John, that they care about other people's needs because they're just reflecting their Savior. They're just reflecting Jesus. They're just living like Jesus. And so they also care about uh, the needs in their uh, community, and they encounter this man, and we're going to see them meeting this man's need. So they're on their way to the temple. There was a couple times during the day that you could go and you could pray. So they're going to like a, a 3 p.m. prayer meeting, <laughs> and uh, they're coming up to the temple to the temple compound. They're walking through this gate called the Beautiful, uh, and they encounter a man uh, who has clear need. 
he is a cripple. He's, he's uh, born lame. That means all of his life he hasn't been able to, to walk and get around like he needs to. And so this man, if you were to think about him, like he obviously needs uh, help getting to the temple gate where he can then beg for money, but his entire life is based on need. Right? It's need for money, need for transportation. The, the scriptures don't say, but maybe he, he needed to help getting into bed or going to the restroom. Uh, or getting food. His needs are pretty obvious, right? He needs help with that, but actually, he underestimates his need. He underestimates his true need. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that because I believe we underestimate our true need as well. I'm trying to change the slide, it's not working. We underestimate our need. Now, the man didn't ask them for healing, uh, and he didn't have a clear perception of his need, right? He asks them for money. He asks them for alms. And so you can kind of get inside of his brain, and, and he kind of got into this way of thinking that if I can just have more money, it will solve my needs. I will get through today. I can, if, I, if, if people will just give me what I need, then I can keep going forward and so he'd kind of become locked into a way of thinking that he couldn't imagine that God could do something else, that God could uh, meet a different need. And I think we can become locked into a way of thinking too, like as individuals and families, well, this is what we need God to do. And we become locked into that way of thinking. And God actually needs us to imagine that he can do something else. He can do something greater, that we're actually underestimating our need. I read an interesting little article this week that spoke about the difference between left brain and, and your right brain. Your left brain and your right brain. I always get these confused. But apparently, uh, like the, the place of creativity and imagination in your brain is kind of the right side. And the place of uh, like order and logic uh, is more of the left side. And that's where we kind of get the, like if you're more of like an orderly and logical and rational person, and like you're a left brain person. If you're more creative and artistic, you're a right brain uh, person. I don't, I've not studied this in depth. Uh, but I do think we can become, uh, in, in our thinking, we can get stuck into left brain, uh, kind of a left brain understanding of our needs, right? Where we, we become kind of latched on to those, those obvious needs, Right? Those things that we all come up with, those things that you're already thinking about in your mind. If I could just have more of this. And I think the scriptures, as we encounter them, they challenge us to, to think about our needs in more of a right brain, creative way. A, a right brain, like, what would God say that our needs are? Like, here's what I say my needs are, but what would God say? And God really understands me. This man, he thinks he needs silver and gold. Maybe he needs food and a place to sleep. That's very left-brain thinking, right? That's very rational. But Peter and John, they're right-brain disciples. They are right-brain disciples. And I hope that we'll walk away from this becoming a little bit more like right-brain disciples as well, that we can look around us and see the people in our community and our neighbors and our coworkers and our families and even see ourselves and our own needs uh, through the possibilities that God can create. God's possibilities. So I want to look at verses 6 through 8. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have for you. I don't have what you think you need. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Wow. Like this man, he underestimated his need, and suddenly now he is uh, healed, and he is able to jump up and walk and praise God. And his real need was just be healed physically, right? Like that was, that's the extent of his need. Like he underestimated his need, he just needed silver and gold, but his real need was just to be fixed. I don't think that's it at all, actually. I don't think his need stops there. It says he got up and he began to praise God. And then he ran around praising God and, and saying, look at what God has done. See, we need God. <laughs> we need to know God. We need to be in relationship with him. God is the one who can meet all of our needs. God is the one who is ready. Yes, he, he, can, he can meet like our, our, our budgetary needs, our financial needs. He can meet uh, like our emotional needs, he can uh, meet our medical needs, our whatever, he can meet those. But ultimately, we just need him. We need him to be the one who meets these things. We need God himself. We need to experience the living God. See, only God can satisfy our true need. Only God can satisfy our true need. But that's like, uh, that's, it's easier said than explained. Only God can satisfy our true needs. So we need to experience God, right? So what does that mean? How, how do we need God? One thing, uh, I was kind of thinking about this, and like, I, you know, first I wrote, like, what are the things we need from God? But then that kind of still distances us, right? That puts the emphasis on the things themselves and not on God himself. And so I think the better question is, how do we need God himself? How do we need to experience God? And uh, that's the first point, is that, number one, we need to experience him. Verse 11 says this, while the man held on to Peter and John, he's always, He's holding on to Peter and John. He's still a little shaken. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. They were astonished. They were amazed. This word can also be translated alarmed. They were kind of terrified to experience the living God. There was like this, this, this amazement. And, it, and instead of driving them away from God... Like when you see something that's scary, right, if you imagine uh, like an avalanche coming at you, uh, typically your first response is not to run towards the avalanche. It's to run away. But these people, it's this amazement, it's this fear, but it's this curiosity. I got to know more. This man who's been lame since birth, and I've seen him, I've walked past him every day as I go into the temple. He's been sitting there begging and begging since he was a child, a teenager. And now he's jumping around. I want to go, I want to find out <laughs> who has done this, who has the power to heal this man. It says that they ran towards him. This word was like they, they flocked like a like a like a, a like a flock of birds just came rushing towards the temple. Or maybe like if you were if you've ever gone to like a road race, like the Chelmsford Road Race, right? Where everyone starts out together and it's this huge mass of people coming together. They come running because they're attracted. Right? They're attracted to an experience of God. And when we experience God, it it's attractive to others. And when we see others experiencing God, it's attractive to us because we want to experience the living God. We don't want to just 
go through the motions of, of religion. I'm doing this thing, and I kind of walk away feeling like I have done the thing I was supposed to do this weekend. No, we want to experience God. That's why we come here. That's why we're a church. See, we need God, just like this, little, this man who was crippled. I think when we identify our need, and whatever it is in your mind, you know, the financial, the relational, um, the time, better health, whatever it is, you're like, I need those things. And it's true, God cares about those things. But what we really need is to experience God in those things. We need to experience God moving in those things. See, sometimes God gives us what we think we need. Sometimes he answers our prayers. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we think we need. But all the time he is working towards giving us our actual need, and that's Jesus. So whether we have uh, uh, plenty or want, God is working to reveal himself to us. God works through the giving or the not giving to give us himself. God works through the giving or the not giving to give us himself. And maybe you can think in your mind of an experience where God like, really showed up and, and did something for you and met a need in your life or your family's life or the life of someone you loved. And one story that I always think of in my own life that I've shared, and we were sharing in, in, in Sunday school or Christian Ed a, a, a while ago about like, how God has met our needs, and everyone had these be- beautiful stories, and I talked about our house. <laughs> They're all talking about, like, God gave me the, my loved one. I'm like, yeah, God gave me a house. Uh, I felt a little material uh, during the, that, that Christian Ed hour, but this story has been really encouraging uh, to me in my life because uh, a couple years ago, Monica and I were looking for a house. We bought a house, um, but the first day we went looking, uh, and so we had gone to like a showing, just kind of walked through. But really the first day, our realtor was going to drive us around and show us a whole bunch of houses. And on the way to the first house, I, we were driving down the street, and I said, I like how that house looks. And it was a cape, so maybe you know what a cape-styled house looks like, uh, a cute house. And Monica's like, I like that too. We pull up the first house, and it's a green cape. It's really cute. And, uh, and we're like, oh, this looks nice. And so we walked through, and we're like, wow, this is a really great house. Uh, and then we're like, okay, well, we got to keep going, so we got to go see all the other houses this day. And so went and go see the five other houses that day, and everyone were like, eh, it's not as good as that first house. <laughs> we really liked that first house. And so we're like, well, we got time, right? This is just our first day looking, so let's just make an offer. And let's like, make an offer that's a little bit less than asking uh, price, even though I think it was a seller's market at the time. There wasn't much, many options, but we were new to this. Uh, we hadn't been like beat down by months and months of searching. I'm sure many of you have. Um, uh, but the Lord was gracious to us uh, in this way, and this is how he chose to move in our story. And that evening, our realtor called us back and said, they accepted your offer. And he's like, I've never had this happen before. Or on the same day someone starts looking, they make an offer, and it's accepted. Well, that's our story, and that's just a, a, a way that the Lord has encouraged me um, that he has me exactly where he wants me, right? He has us as a family exactly where he wants us. Like he literally, uh, the, the family, when we talked with them at closing, we're like, so, you know, why'd you move? And they're like, I don't know. We just felt like it was time. <laughs> they had been there for like 30 years. I think God kicked them out of the house so that we could have it. <laughs> God's like, here, I'm going to uproot them and you can just enjoy. Um, we needed to experience, like we needed a house, right? That was our need, but our deeper need was to experience God. And God gave, used the experience of getting a house to actually experience him and his grace and his goodness. And so think in your own mind of your stories of how God has come into your life and met your need. 
Maybe you've never thought about that before. Maybe you can't pinpoint a time. I bet if you were to stop, you would be able to identify places where God has actually been faithful to you, even if you weren't paying attention to him. And so we need to experience him, right? We need to experience him in our need. That's number one. Number two is we need his conviction, Peter and John begin to explain to this crowd, like the crowd comes running, why did you do this? And so they begin to explain. It's not by their power that they have done this miracle, but it's actually by the power of Christ Jesus. And you can imagine as, as they begin to preach and to share uh, that they're a little bit convicted. Right? They're, experiencing, um, the, they're experiencing their sin. Right? Sin is rebellion against God, doing things our way instead of doing things God's way. Because, well, they just crucified Jesus. They just crucified the one that that Peter is saying had the power to heal this man. Verse 13 says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that's like their forefathers, the forefathers of the Israelite people, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. So that's referring to the crucifixion, right? Pilate was going to release him, and the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And some of these people that shouted, crucify him, were probably in this crowd here. So they're feeling conviction wash over them. They are beginning to experience God and his his power and his goodness. Verse 14, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Man, I would not want to hear those words. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. You killed the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. You killed Jesus. I can imagine that would be convicting to hear. And I... I don't want to stand here and say, like, you're also guilty of his death. But I do think we can also become guilty for something similar. This is that you disowned him. Because so we can disown Jesus in our own lives. We can reject him, right? Whether we're rejecting belief in him in the first place, or we're already called believers, we're already Christians, and we're still sort of disowning him with our actions. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Silence. Has anyone here seen that movie? One, did, no? Okay, well, all right, this illustration's gonna go far and wide. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to watch it. It's, uh, it's a movie for adults, but it's, uh, it's a good movie. It's about two Catholic priests uh, in the 1700s uh, who are sent to Japan to share Christianity in the midst of severe persecution. Like, they're, they're casting out all the priests, they're, they're, they're um, uh, trying to uh, force the uh, local Catholic uh, Christian believers to uh, renounce their faith, to uh, like step on a, a, a cross emblem and, and deny Jesus. And as these two priests are going about this really difficult task, they encounter a man named Kichijiro. And he's a man in the story over the course of the movie who, who repents and believes, and then he steps on the cross and denies 
as soon as pressure arises. And he doesn't do this just once. He does this again and again and again through the course of the film. Uh, and over the course of the movie, you're becoming more and more frustrated with Kichijiro. Why would this man do this? Why would he uh, deny Jesus and come back again and deny Jesus and come back again? But in some ways, I think if we were to put ourselves in this movie, and it's based on a, a, a book, if we were to put ourselves in the situation, we would probably not be the faithful priests who suffer and go through it, or even the other believers. We would be the one who is denying Jesus over and over and over again. Like we deny Jesus in small ways all the time. The opportunity to talk about Jesus comes up, right? We don't take it. Uh, or we hold on to sin and lust and, and bitterness in our hearts, denying Jesus. We're not giving him that place our lives. Or we, we are just something as simple as like, I have my Christian time and I have my own time. I have my sacred time and I have my secular time. And that's a denial of Jesus too. And we divide up our lives. And we don't give every part of our lives to him. And just like Kichijiro, we need to repent and return again and again and again. And through the course of the movie, the priest keeps welcoming Kichijiro home. He keeps forgiving him and accepting him. And that's what God does for us. That's what God does for you and me. He keeps forgiving us. He keeps forgiving our rejection and the ways that we turn and, and welcoming us home. We need a God who's going to meet all of our needs, like, like physical, material, but we need a God who's going to meet our spiritual need, who's going to be able to forgive us of our sin and welcome us home because we're going to keep blowing it. And so we need to experience that grace we need, to, we need this conviction so that we can experience grace and begin to transform us. Number one, how do we need God? Well, number one, we need to experience him. Number two, we need his conviction. And number three, we need faith in his son, Jesus. And this is what Andy was talking a little bit about earlier. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. See, Peter and John, they don't claim to have the power in themselves to heal this man. Instead, they say, it's through our faith in Christ Jesus. Perhaps this man's faith in Christ Jesus that has made him well. And it's the faith that comes through him. That implies something, too. It's like the faith is in Jesus, but also it comes from Jesus. So maybe some of you are sitting there and you're like, I don't recognize my need for Jesus. I just, this, this, this seems so different. This seems so foreign. Well, then pray. Pray and say, Jesus, if I really do need you, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you, would you convict me of my need? Jesus is the one who grants the belief. Jesus is the one who gives the faith in the first place. So the gospel, we talk about the gospel as a church all the time. It's the good news, right, that Jesus, that he died and that he rose again, just like Peter talks about in this passage. But it's also the good news that by faith in him, we can have a relationship with God, that we can experience God through Jesus. That's Christianity. Christianity is not like a get-out-of-hell-free pass. It's not just if I say the prayer or if I do the right things, if I go to the right classes and uh, take communion or whatever, that I get to go to heaven. It's not about that. It's about knowing God. 
So how do we need God? We need to experience him, we need his conviction, and we need faith in his son, Jesus. And fourth, we need his refreshment. We need his refreshment. Peter uh, admits that we're ignorant. Uh, Verse uh, 17 uh, says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. This does not excuse them. He just admits, you crucified Jesus and you didn't know. Okay, let's deal with that. And I think for us, we can walk through our lives, right? And we can also say, well, I, I was ignorant. I didn't know that Jesus is God. I didn't know that I was supposed to repent of my sins and believe in him. Okay, but now you know. <laughs> now you know. And now you're responsible for this new information. Thanks for coming today. <laughs> Verse 18 says this, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. See, God uses our mistakes and he works through them and he brings salvation. And here God is bringing salvation. That's always been his plan, even through the suffering of his son, even through the suffering of Christ Jesus. The Messiah, that's what a Hebrew word for Christ, came to suffer and to pay the penalty for our sins. And so our response is found in verse 19, Repent. Repent. Repent then and turn to God. Repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance means to turn our being from sin. Repentance does not mean go out and never sin again. But it's more of a posture. I'm living life my way. I am trying to meet my own needs I am my own God. To turn from that is to turn then to Jesus and say, I can't meet my own needs. I I cannot deal with my own sins. I have to come to the cross. I have to come to Jesus, and I have to lay my sins down at the foot of the cross so that Jesus can forgive me, so that Jesus can wipe away my sin. Uh, That's this beautiful picture that... uh, of like, I guess in uh, this time, papyrus, you know, in ink, uh, when they would write on it, the ink didn't have uh, acid in it, so it wouldn't bite into the paper. So it's possible to take like a wet rag or sponge and wipe off the paper. And so if you were to imagine for a moment like a, a big piece of paper with all of your sins, just all of your sins are written on that piece of paper. Like Jesus is the one who has the power uh, through his own blood uh, on the cross to come along and dip uh, like his sponge in his blood and to wipe away our sins. So that whole list of your sin, everything you have ever done uh, wrong before God, uh, from childhood to the moment you die, uh, God can wipe it away through Christ Jesus and through his sacrifice on the cross. And isn't that refreshing <laughs> to know that like suddenly I, when God looks at me, he doesn't have to see just like a list of all of my, my naughty, all my evil, all of my badness, all of my wickedness. He can see just like this, this perfect record. Because the gospel is also this good news that God comes along and like writes everything that Jesus did. Uh, for our sin, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like we become righteous. Now suddenly it's like the story of Jesus is written on my record. And that ink is beautiful. That's the kind of ink that I want on my record. It says, times of refreshing come from the Lord. 
the, the, this, this rest from the burden of my sin, this rest uh, from the, the weight of my needs. Suddenly knowing that like, God's gonna take care of it. Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Like he, he takes care of all of our needs. That's refreshing. Suddenly, okay, the weight of all of my needs has been taken off me. The weight of my sin has been taken off me. And I'm just giving God himself who loves me and wants to know me and be in relationship with me. That's what we need. See, we need God to, to deal down deep in our souls with those part of us that is anxious about money. We need God to deal with our anxiety about our relationships or our anxiety about our time or our medical needs or our emotional needs or whatever it is. We need God to deal with those parts. And he does that just by completely reworking who we are. We need his refreshment. And number five, we need his restoration. We need his restoration. Verse 21 promises us, Peter says, that God is going to restore everything. That's what Abraham believed, Moses and Samuel and all the prophets. That through the Messiah, all peoples on earth would be blessed. Verses 22 through 25. See, Jesus has already blessed us, right? We're not Jewish. Most of us here are, at least. And yet, we get to be in relationship with God. So God has used the story of Jesus to bless all the nations, but he's going to do even more when he's going to restore that perfect paradise, that Garden of Eden, where all of our unmet needs will be met in God and in Christ Jesus. And Jesus will supply all of our needs and himself forever and ever and ever. This passage, though, ends with an implied choice. So you don't have to go this route. Uh, you can either believe in Jesus and receive the blessing, verse 26, repent and believe, or verse 23 says, well, you can also choose to be cut off. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from all their people. I think other translations said destroyed. And so we have a choice. And the choice is this, I can choose to pursue my needs for my life. But those needs will just keep ending in more and more unmet needs. Or I can choose to align myself with Jesus and pursue him as the one who can satisfy my ultimate need. And then your needs will be met. Perhaps not all the things that you want in this life, but the things that you ultimately need forever for eternity. And so my big idea is that only Jesus can satisfy your true need. Only Jesus can satisfy your true need. That's what we need to hear today. And Jesus works in those like everyday occurrences, those everyday needs, but ultimately only Jesus can satisfy our true needs. Remember, uh, Peter, they looked at this man, and they really wanted him to pay attention. I think Jesus really wants us to pay attention this morning. Like, look at me. Look at me. You do not need silver or gold. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. That's what you need. And that's what Peter and John's message was 2,000 years ago, and that's what Jesus' message is for us today. You need Jesus. He can satisfy your true need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he can satisfy us and our true need I pray that he would. I pray for everyone in here. Lord, we have so many wants, so many needs, so many things that are on our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that you would lift those. 
and that Jesus would come rushing in, that the Holy Spirit would just work on our hearts and comfort us and say, you know, I, will, I will take care of all your needs. And I have, I have already taken care of your first need on the cross through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, who have been pursuing their own needs for their life, would they come to Jesus? Would we all come to Jesus again today? Would we all repent of our sins and say, Lord, align my being anew with Christ. Align who I am with Jesus. Lord, would we not be afraid, would we not be afraid to be like Kichijiro and to, and to come back again and again and again to Jesus, our King? Lord, help us to, to not deny Jesus in any part of our life, but to come to him to seek our needs. Please bless our offering in Jesus' name. Amen.